I think the average American has no concept of how food reaches our table. We don't know how, for example, meat is processed, how it's raised, where it's grown. We have no idea where lettuce comes from. We have no idea how it's harvested. We don't know what it takes to produce that. People think that this workforce is expendable. Uh, one gets sick, there's 10 more in line to do it. As the coronavirus has upended life as we know it, the true impact of the outbreak on communities like America's largely immigrant agricultural workforce is still being measured. I think one of the challenges for essential workers is to have been deemed and called essential, but then to have not been given kind of the essential protections that you need at work. Journalists Daffodil Altan and Andres Zadil have been reporting on the lives of undocumented people in the U.S. for years, making films such as Rape in the Fields and Trafficked in America. For their new frontline documentary, COVID's Hidden Toll, they spent months investigating how agricultural workers, deemed essential to the nation's food supply, are navigating the pandemic. I'm Rainey Aronson, executive producer of Frontline, and this is the Frontline Dispatch. The Frontline Dispatch is made possible by the Abrams Foundation, committed to excellence in journalism, and by the WGBH Catalyst Fund. Support for the Frontline Dispatch also comes from the Massachusetts General Hospital Cancer Center. Early detection is key to catching and treating many cancers. You can learn more about the innovative programs at massgeneral.org cancer. Mass General Cancer Center. Every day amazing. Daffodil, Andres, so glad you can join me on the dispatch. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So, Daffodil, I want to start with you, and I want you to tell us a story about how you first began to hear from a longtime source of yours about what was going on. So when we went into shelter-in-place in California, we were the first state to do so, and we just started talking between us about what was going on, what would this mean, and we had heard from Maricruz Ladina, who we met seven years ago uh, for the film we were working on, Rape in the Fields, uh, for Frontline. And she is a longtime California resident. She's been in agriculture all her life. She's been a truck driver. She's done quality control. So she had a lot of questions that I think tipped us off to the questions that we needed to be thinking about and asking, you know, safety procedures. Do we need to wear masks? What's work going to look like? how this was going to evolve as the harvest was coming. What is this going to look like and mean for potentially the spread of the virus? So, I mean, did you pick up the phone and call Andres and say, hey, you know, this might actually be our next story. This is something we need to keep our eyes out for. Or what happened next? Yeah, we started talking again. You know, I think because we've reported in vulnerable communities, we were thinking about the janitors. We were thinking about, Mm -hmm. you know, the cabin service cleaners. You started hearing those early stories of, hey, we're, we're getting caught up in this and we don't have any protection. No one is seeing us. No one is thinking about us. And that's something that that's been sort of our body of work. And so we started talking again about what's going to happen to the people who we've reported with and on who are often overseen, who aren't taken into account when they need to be, but who are there at critical junctures, who, who do very important work in terms of 
you know, keeping the offices clean in terms of picking our food, the mm. airplanes clean. So we, we knew likely from what we were seeing and what we were hearing in the early stories about the agricultural community that when infections started, this wasn't going to be good. COVID-19 is disrupting the farming industry on the many The country's levels. two and a half million farm workers are continuing to go we're to work every day. We're talking about farm workers, those Often essential workers who remain in the fields picking our fruits and vegetables. So what's being done to keep them safe? Yeah, Andres, were you surprised by what you started to hear in the beginning? Or did you think this is just, you know, business as usual, that they would be unprotected? What was going through your mind? Oh, it was clear to me, uh, based on all the reporting, that this was uh, an industry that wasn't going to be prepared to protect the workers, mm -hmm. mostly because... These workers haven't had protections uh, for for years and for decades, and it's been a long battle for them to be able to have any sorts of protections. You know, something that happened right before the pandemic was that the Trump administration enacted a policy which has been referred to as public charge, which means that uh, anybody who's undocumented, who seeks public services, uh, be that food stamps or some other public service, that could end up going on their record and impede them from in the future going to right. get some sort of uh, pathway to citizenship. So what that did is that scared a lot of workers to be able to go seek any kinds of services at all because they were going to be targeted. Now, the timing of this is that it happened right before the pandemic and that even though medical services are exempt from this, the message was sent to the undocumented community that if you go and get help, uh, you may be uh, put in line to be deported. So people are afraid to go to the doctor. People are afraid to go to the county mm -hmm. hospital. And so it was looking like a situation where there was going to be a lot of people who were under the radar, who were primed to get sick and not going to get help. You guys set your film in Monterey County, so particularly Salinas Valley. Um, Daffodil, tell me why there. So Salinas is known as the salad bowl of the country. Most of the country's greens come from Salinas. And so this is a, a, a tremendously important producing region. And California as a state is the biggest ag producing state in the country. So most of the country's nuts, fruits, vegetables are coming from California. So really anywhere we landed was going to be significant. Um, but Monterey became the place that we started to really um, spend time in and look at because it's not unlike other agricultural counties. They were in some ways ahead of other counties in issuing early safety guidelines for uh, the agricultural community. But, uh, but a lot of the problems are still there. You still have, uh, um, you know, a population that's underpaid. You still have um, migration of workers. You still have a lot of the same problems that you have throughout the rest of the state. We were wanting to find out once the infection started how big the problem was, how many farm workers, how many people in the agricultural sector were getting sick. And, you know, most counties were not releasing that information. Companies were not releasing that information. Right. So it was difficult to get. So Monterey actually in May began releasing industry data. They still don't release information about companies and where infections have happened, but they do break they are breaking down infections by industry. And what's that what that has told us and and what a recent analysis found because they have that industry data, they're able to see now that farm workers are three times as likely to get COVID-19 than other workers. So that's significant. Right, right. So we really don't know what the rest of California or even the country looks like in, in those in that regard. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were looking for data all over the place. And at one point, mm-hmm. we started asking all the top ag counties uh, for the data. And we were just getting a lot of responses that say they don't release the data, they don't release the data. So then we started reaching out to uh, some other researchers, but we also found some uh, research out of UC San Diego. And this was a study that was done of all counties in, in the United States, anywhere that somebody had gotten COVID-19. And they overlaid it with various factors, uh, controlling for poverty, controlling for English as a second language. And what they found out is wherever there are counties where there are more farm workers, more people are dying of COVID-19. But the more surprising part about the studies is what was missing in their data. And what their, their research showed is that there appears to be many more people who are dying who are completely off the radar. They're dying at home and they're not being diagnosed. And what's, what's pointing towards is that there's a whole population that we're not seeing that's being affected by this pandemic. I mean, one of the interesting things you, you also learned, I know, is that companies are not um, obligated to report their numbers. Can you just tell me about that a little bit? What's the, what's the reasoning for that? What's the reasoning behind that? And what did you find out? Well, you know, what's interesting is no company has to report who is getting sick of their work. Even where I work at the University of California, I just got a notice saying uh, that uh, even though we may want to know if somebody in our unit has gotten sick, they're not going to release that data because of medical privacy laws. Um, So I think there's a a disconnect between what workers feel like they want to know, what public health officials need to know to be able to control the 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 pandemic, and what companies are willing to disclose. And to some degree, we have to figure out as a society how we can move forward and protect people, but also get the essential work done. So it's a, it's a tough balance that a lot of companies are working with right now. Right. So Daffodil, I just want you to talk to me a little bit as you're like, you know, starting to get this data, you're starting to, you know, investigate what, what were you finding the most troubling or surprising even? It was interesting because there's a lot of talk about protection and avoiding an infection at a work site and, and PPE and what we need. But but I, I wasn't hearing enough about what happens when you have an infection at work. What are you supposed to do as an employer? Um, what are the rules? Are the, is there anything you have to do? And it turns out there's nothing you've technically have to do. There are just recommendations for what you should do. Mm -hmm. And so imagine going to work and being in your office and, you know, people start whispering and hearing about somebody being potentially infected. You want your employer to tell you something. Not necessarily who, you know, we understand there are privacy issues, but you want to know something. And what we were finding was the workers weren't getting anything or they were getting denials or they were being told everything was fine. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, was provoking a lot of anxieties. You don't know what's happening. So you don't know how many people are sick. You don't know your own degree of exposure and just that fear and then having to go to work every day not knowing and not having answers is what was provoking a lot of the anxiety, the fear um, in the workers we were speaking to. So I was hoping you could talk to me a little bit about Cynthia Hernandez and just what is her story and why did you want to tell her story? Well, most of our work, especially in the undocumented community, is about building a lot of trust. And for us, that's always meant uh, meeting with people, having coffee, having lunch, meeting the family, uh, getting to know them in a way that they understand who we are and where we're coming from and proceeding very slowly. 
And we didn't have the opportunity to do that during this project. We couldn't even really meet for coffee. Um, but when we ran into Cynthia and she says, I want to talk, I want to go on camera, that's the person that we're always looking for. Somebody that doesn't need to be convinced to go on camera, somebody who wants to go on camera. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened with Cynthia is, as you can see in the film, she has so many things, uh, so many challenges right now. Uh, her own health, the health of her family, the precariousness of her economic situation. And I think that she was just fed up and just felt like she needed to talk. You know, when when you think of COVID uh, coming in and, you know, just really um, amplifying some of the issues this community has faced, what do you see in terms of Cynthia and, and the challenges she faced? I mean, there's a lot of people who don't have health care, just plain and simple. Uh, a lot of people right. who are here uh, undocumented, they don't have access to care. Uh, if there is, if, if there are free services that are available to them, they don't know about them. Uh, they're scared to go and get medical care, and they'll just suffer at home and just keep working. So uh, Cynthia was different in that she was able to go. You can see her in the film, and she has her, all her pills, and she is going and getting medical care. Uh, but she's in a very precarious position health-wise. But for a lot of people who are working on the fringes, they don't have that time. They don't have the access. Mm-hmm. And they can't go and get it, so they continue to suffer, and their uh, ailments get worse. And that's one of the problems, especially with covid is if you're not getting care early, it can progress until the point where uh, you're in a dire situation. And so that's one of the scariest things uh, for this population. Yeah, and also it's just economic. I mean, I heard from people who were like, "How th- this test, how much is it going to cost? I'm not going to go get tested. It's mm, going to be expensive. I don't have health insurance. And so one of the doctors that we speak to in the film said, don't be afraid of of." being undocumented, being deported right now, be afraid of the virus. When our state and federal governments announced that the farm worker was a part of the essential workforce, included with health care, first responders, police, you know, that kind of thing. But it's not your middle class essential worker that people are talking about. Farm workers, a lot of them do in fact live in fear. They don't want people to know that they're here undocumented. There's that fear of, I could be gone tomorrow if I'm taken away, and what's going to happen to my family. It's a horrible kind of fear that people learn to live with, and it's understandable. You try to assure them that, well, don't be afraid of that one right now. Be afraid of the virus. Daffodil, you're talking about Dr. Cuevas, and he's, uh, you know, one of the most dynamic characters in your film. Um, Tell me a little bit about him and what he was seeing in this landscape as COVID's coming on the scene and, and what the work he was doing. Yeah, so Dr. Cuevas, you know, his parents were farm workers, so he grew up in California as a farm worker, and so he truly understands the community because this is where he comes from. And so he has been operating, you know, more than 20 years in the Salinas area. He has a whole network of clinics and they're all, you know, kind of spread out in remote areas because that's where you need to place, you know, healthcare and healthcare access for um, the farm worker population. So the vast majority of his as patients are agriculture connected or related and they do a lot of outreach work and they do a lot of work to educate and get people to get the services they need. But what they were concerned with 
um, when, you know, shelter in place, um, you know, was put into place and they couldn't, they had to operate in a limited way was what was going to happen with the harvest? Um, were people going to have the protection, the, enough protection to protect themselves? And so he decided with the staff to just start making, they set, set a goal of making 10,000 masks. And so they just started sewing and making these masks, but also started working with a coalition of stakeholders, including the grower community, to try to figure out how to educate the farm workers, how to educate businesses about what you need to do at the workplace to really mitigate, uh, to contain, um, you know, and he's a he's a big advocate of, of on-site testing. And right now, actually, he's currently uh, with, a, with a UC a researcher there, there they've ramped up testing. So his goal is, is to test 5,000 farm workers. And I think once that happens, we're going to know a lot more about the degree of spread among the farm worker community. One of the questions that I had, you know, when I was I was watching um, Dr. Cuevas and his team making the masks and going to the, the trucks in the morning and handing out the masks is, you know, what is the company responsibility here and what are you finding companies are doing now? I mean, as the pandemic has been going on for months now, are you seeing companies start to provide masks, at least the companies that you guys looked at? Yeah, there's a wide range in terms of what companies are doing. I think the, you know, there's there's companies that are doing uh, everything to the letter in terms of the recommendations and doing all that and more and they're providing masks and they're instituting social distancing. Uh, They're giving people paid sick leave. Uh, So there's a lot of companies out there that are really generally caring about their workers and the health of their workers and their families and doing the right thing. And then, of course, what we've found in this industry is that there's just a wide range of actors. So then there's situations in terms of where Cynthia was working and the contractor that she was working with was not providing masks. So even though there was uh, a county order in which essential workers need to wear masks, it wasn't clear who was to provide the masks. So it was Cynthia herself who brought the masks to the workers to help try to take care of their health and her health. So there's just a huge range of what companies are doing. But what, what's lacking right now is any sort of uniform requirement for companies to follow. And that's in any industry, in this industry as well. So, you know, companies take it upon themselves to either be, you know, very forward thinking and try to do everything to protect the company and their workers, um, or they wait uh, until an outbreak happens and then they rush to try to, you know, put give people PPE and, and put separators in place and try to contain the virus. But as we've seen and as we see in the film, by that point, it's, it's often too late. The virus has moved very quickly. We'll be back to our conversation with Andres and Daffodil right after this message. The journalism behind the Frontline Dispatch is possible thanks to the support of you, our listeners. And we've got some really great news to share. Our friends at the Ruggles Family Foundation have agreed to match your gift to the Dispatch, dollar for dollar, up to $10,000. Please help us take full advantage of this generosity and assist us in reaching our goal today. Remember, every dollar you give is doubled. So join us in supporting journalism that holds our leaders and government to account and pursues the truth wherever it may lead us by making a gift today. Thank you so much. Support for the Frontline Dispatch comes from Mass General Cancer Center. 
When facing the unknown, it is often the small acts of courage that we experience in our daily lives that power us to face another day. We're all in this together. You know, one thing I wanted to talk to you guys is, of course, you looked at farm workers, but you also looked at the meatpacking industry. And, you know, of course, you guys have experience in that area as well. So I was hoping you can give us a picture of what's going on there. Well, the meatpacking industry was hit very hard by the pandemic very early on with some of the biggest outbreaks in the country happening at meatpacking plants. And when we were reporting in Monterey County, we heard about one of the biggest meatpacking outbreaks in California, not far from where we were. And we went to go uh, look at what was going on there. And what we found was very similar to what was happening around the country. And that is that workers were coming in and there was not protections available for them at the beginning of the pandemic. And the virus quickly spread throughout the plant uh, and people were getting sick in dozens, hundreds at a time. Um, And what was going on was they would also bring that virus back home to their families so that the communities around the meatpacking plants were experiencing some of the fastest infection growth rates in the country. At least 138 employees tested positive for COVID-19 at a meatpacking plant. As some meat processing plants around the country have become COVID-19 hotspots. At least 10,000 meatpacking workers across the country. At least a dozen plants in eight states have either closed or reduced hours in response to You know, this is one of the reasons why it's important to pay attention to what's happening at these workplaces, because those workplaces then affect the community. And we found at meatpacking plants that we were looking at that we could see that there was these huge outbreaks happening. But we also know in the same way that in the farm community, in the farming community, that there's a range of actors, there's also a range of actors in the meatpacking plants. In our previous reporting, we were seeing workers who were uh, employing child labor, who were working the night shift, who were being trafficked. These are off-the-radar, small, non-unionized meatpacking plants. Even at the big ones where there's a lot more transparency, where some of the companies were actually releasing the data, we were seeing these huge outbreaks. Um, Now that there's some level of protection being uh, given to the workers, the numbers haven't spiked as high, but the numbers haven't gone away. So one of the things, if you the few numbers that are out there that are tracking outbreaks at meatpacking plants actually show that the outbreaks are relatively consistent. Because what happens is when the workers get sick and they go home and they take two weeks off, somebody else is hired to come and take their place. And then those people are getting sick. And it's just a continuous cycle right now of people going in and getting sick and going in and getting sick. And the problem hasn't gone away at all. Dr. Cuevas also said something that really struck me, the idea that, you know, the average American doesn't necessarily know what it takes to get the food that's actually on our plates. Talk to me a little bit about what you think Americans think about these workers out there. How many farm workers do you personally know? I mean, have you ever just spent time with a farm worker or someone who works in a meatpacking plant? Have you ever had coffee with them? Do you know anything about their lives? You know, the accountability, understanding the scope of the problem is critical. No one has ever focused on what a farm worker is or does. All of a sudden, they're being called essential workers. And a lot of people out there right now are saying, what does that mean? Why are people taking that much interest in what we do? It's not known exactly how many of that workforce are undocumented. So they've got that added uh, dilemma and stigma that they're living with. 
just knowing who it is. Who who is it that that picks the lettuce? Who is it that picks your broccoli? What is their life like? Aren't 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 we all in this COVID situation together? Aren't we all afraid for our children and our you know family members and just the unknown? And so I think part of what Dr. Cuevas is saying is because he's of this community because he was a farm worker is understanding just the work alone. I mean, just seeing and being there on the work site and, and just at four in the morning, what has to happen to get to work, to begin the work, you know, how much you've done by nine, 10, 11 in the morning, and, you know, just how far that food travels. It's just we're, we're disconnected from the human being who's making that happen. Dr. Cuevas also said this is not unskilled work. It's actually skilled work. It's difficult work. It's learned work. You know, growers value their the, the, the crews that they have. They rehire the same people often because they really value the skill that they have. And so I think we just don't understand that universe. You know, there's so little in the way of protection still for the farm work com- community. Yeah, I'm glad you landed there because I wanted to know, you know, uh, you guys did speak to Fed OSHA, and I want to know what could be done for these workers right now at the federal level. So right now they've issued recommendations uh, for companies to follow. The theory behind that is that each workplace knows their workplace best and will know what they can do uh, and what they need to do to keep their workplace safe. But we see that there are problems happening right now, and there's no enforcement. There's no standard for everybody. So that's something that Federal OSHA could do right now, which would then require employers to provide these protections. And then if they're enforceable, we would know if people were actually being protected or not. Right now, the hot spots are happening in low-wage work. Mm. The people who have to go to work right now are the people who are vulnerable, who are not being protected. So if we can stop the pandemic there, that's going to help all of us in society. One of the things um, I was hoping you guys could both comment on is, you know, because you have been uh, covering this community for a long time, what do you see that's different now? I mean, I think on one hand, you know, I want to say that, you know, things are are getting better in this farm working community and that there are more protections because over time, clearly, clearly they are. But at the same time, there's so many serious systemic issues with how farm workers live and work and all the challenges that they have that there's a lot of ways in which it's not getting better. Uh, there's a lot of work being done in California, but it's really incremental. And at the end of the day, this community is still down at the bottom economically and in terms of protections, and especially because so many of them are undocumented. So there hasn't been a lot of progress made. With the undocumented part, that's still the biggest elephant in the room. I mean, at this point, when the pandemic started, in California, the situation was that there were worker shortages. Growers, processors, producers did not have enough workers. So, you know, I think it's what's what's shifted and what had happened just before, um, you know, in, in December is that that a House bill had passed that was had a lot of industry support for putting, you know, undocumented farm workers on a path to citizenship, eventual citizenship, to increasing the number of H-2A workers because 
Growers understand now that you can't keep uh, an undocumented workforce like this forever because it affects them as well. So that's still sort of the biggest and central issue because from that stems so many things. And if you are living here undocumented, you're going to feel like you're criminalized. Even if you're called essential, you can still potentially be deported. So what happens is, just like we found in our other films, wherein you're in that situation, you're not going to speak out if you're sexually assaulted, if you're being labor trafficked. And again, now, if you have COVID-19, you're going to be afraid to speak out. So I think keeping an entire workforce that technically has rights, but doesn't always know that they do because they're being simultaneously criminalized, it's, it's sort of what's at the heart of this problem. Andres and Daffodil, thank you so much for being on The Dispatch, and we'll keep reporting this issue, obviously, going forward with you both. Thank you, Rainey. Thank you. Our new film, COVID's Hidden Toll, is supported by Chasing the Dream, a public media initiative from WNET in New York that examines poverty, justice, and economic opportunity in America. COVID's Hidden Toll is streaming in full at Frontline.org, where you can watch, read, and listen to more of our reporting on the coronavirus pandemic. Our podcast producers are Max Green and James Edwards. Our production assistant is Lucy Sullivan. Catherine Guybart is our editorial coordinating producer. Our senior editors are Lauren Azell and Sarah Childress. Editing and production help from Lauren Prestilio. Frank Kewen is senior producer, Andrew Metz is our managing editor, and I'm Rainey Aronson, executive producer of Frontline. Music in this episode is by Stellwagen Symphonette. The Frontline Dispatch is produced at WGBH and powered by PRX.